Well, welcome to episode 20 of Creative Moonlighting. I have a very special guest today, Miss Barbara Taylor, who um, was my colleague, but she has um, a new chapter in life that I snagged her from before she got too deep into it, and she's just retired. So, yay. Welcome, Barbara. Hi. So good to be here. It oh. feels so special to be here. So. Oh, man. Well, I will tell you um, that I guess the last week before you retired, um, remember when we were at your retirement party? Yeah. Somebody kept saying, Barbara, you should do a podcast. I know. <laughs> they kept telling me that, I and I thought, my hands were like going like this and I was like, yeah, you should do a podcast. <laughs> I never occurred to me to do a podcast. So yeah, this is really kind of cool. So, I know. Yeah. Well, we get to do what we do best, which is yes. sit around and talk, right? Just talk. That's right. So um, Barbara, tell us about what your first two weeks of retirement have looked like. My first two weeks of retirement have been two very contrasting weeks. Uh, the first week, I spent a lot of time sleeping. I was really, really tired and I could not sit down without going to sleep. So I slept. But then Saturday morning of the second week, well, it's the end of the first week, I woke up and I was ready to roll. And I started working in my garage and I spent the last five days turning it into a model of organization. Oh, so, I need to see before and after photos of I, it. No, we don't want the refuel before. <laughs> well, it's like you um, you had to sleep off. You probably had all this buildup to the retirement, thinking about all the things you wanted to do before, yes. you know, all the things you needed to wrap up. Yeah. And then you were exhausted. And then it's like you woke up like metamorphosis right well i <laughs> when i was you know getting to the point where you know you're ready to do it and you're just a few months out and i talked to my manager and told her that i really want to just kind of run right on up to the end don't do anything strange weird just do it and and then of course work picked up to the point of where course. it was crazy i'm it's literally crazy and when i finally finished it was such a relief. I'm sure. But at the same time, it was like a void because for 43 years, I knew exactly what I was going to do mm -hmm. the next few months. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, it's just open. And you have to make some decisions about all of those things that you said that you wish that you had time to do. Yeah. And now you actually have time to do them. And now you feel kind of obligated to do them. Yeah. And which one do you want to do first? <laughs> there it is. Right. Which one do you want to do first? Which yeah. one do you want to do later? Yes. Um, yeah. It, I can only imagine how bittersweet it feels because especially with somebody that works as hard as you do um, to go, whoa, I don't have 20 things on my agenda that I have to attend to today because yeah. our job has been the past couple of years so crazy uh, that you're running like a hamster on a never-ending wheel, right? Continuously. I think, though, that when I think about retirement, mm -hmm. it is it is like opening a new book because I know that I'm not done. Mm -hmm. I, I know that I'm not done, but I know that it's also time to open a new chapter trying to decide what that chapter is and how that chapter looks and how it reads is the hard part because now that I have this opportunity in front of me, so many things flash as opportunities, you know, and things that 
you're comfortable with. Oh, I could go back into the doing the kind of work that I've been doing for 43 years yeah. and I could continue to do that at my own pace. But that's really not, I know in my heart that that is not it. Yeah. So having this opportunity talking about moonlighting and, yeah. and moonlighting as an artist, I've made some decisions in the past where that was something that I knew I wanted to do. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to be an artist. What I, kind? Oh my goodness, that's the problem. I could not decide. I have tried everything from uh, when I was teaching middle school. Okay. Uh, there was an art teacher there. I have forgotten her name, but I, she would allow me to sit in her class. Oh, fine. So as she taught, I would sit. And there was one type of art that she called them, I think it's called the Mola, Mula, something. Mola? Mola? Something like that. Is it stitching? Yes, it's, it's stitching. It's like that. Do you see that? That that. Yes, it's exactly like that. It's um, oh. South American. Yes, okay. yes. And that was my first serious move into it because I didn't have the patience to do all of that stitching. So I decided to do it in the opposite direction because okay. with this art, with that art form, you put your various layers and colors and then you cut through to expose the color that you want to see. Okay. And I did went the opposite direction. I started to build the color and I used paper. Okay. And paper is so small until I was using surgical scissors to do the cutting because that way I could make some very, very detailed things like if you're looking at oh, the iris wow. and I did that to the point where I was just to be just to be frank I was so stressed at that particular point in my life you know mm -hmm. I was I was just it was just so many things happening and you know being a young mother being a young professional being a young wife having a new home all the financial and emotional and things that go along with it that served as an outlet yeah and I would sit for hours using uh, a teasing needle and surgical scissors to wow. build these pieces. And the um, only thing that stopped me was carpal tunnel syndrome. <laughs> I'm sure your hands got yes. so tired. But it was, it's beautiful. So I did that and I worked with glass. Wow. I love doing stained glass, but I love to do my own patterns. And I, I try- Break them? Would you actually- well, no, stained glass is different from you, where you uh, cut the glass. Mosaic glass. Yes, no, okay. the mosaic glass is a lot easier. But I tried the stained glass with the caning and all this other. How'd you stuff. learn how to do all? I went to a class. Oh. I, I took a class at one of the. It was an art, a stained glass store down the street oh, from fun. me, and they would have classes periodically. I took a class. And now I have all of the stuff and I, one of these days. Now, which art? Yeah. What, <laughs> what of form days. of art do you want? There to you do go. Now? So I've, tr I've dabbled. I've tried to paint. I've, I've dabbled. Are you left-handed? I am not. You're not. Okay. Uh -uh. And you said you're March. So what, yeah. what sign is that? What? I am sign? Aries, but I'm on the cusp. So okay. it's that, that kind of thing between Aries Pisces. Mm -hmm. uh. I don't know. Sometimes I like to ask that. For some reason, the signs are intriguing to me. So I wonder, left hands. Yeah. Matthew's left-handed. And I just observe patterns, right? right. That's my right. job that, as a mathematician is go. to like observe patterns. So I observe patterns. So I always like to ask if you're left-handed or not. Um, yeah, I was thinking when you were talking that it must be interesting where you're at too because you have to learn to protect your time. Like people think because 
now you have nothing to do. So there you, you must have time to do all the things I want you to do. <laughs> yes. I received a phone call the other day. Close relative. You're retired. Why haven't you been here yet? It's been two weeks. Well, I'm guilty of it, right? I snagged you up before you even were officially oh, done. You, no, you're said. smart. You're smart. I'm serious. I, I, I settle well. In other words, I could get comfortable very easily yeah. and sit around and do my own thing very easily. Um, well, who knows? Now you might decide that you like podcasting and then you might start it. Everybody at uh, at work was trying to tell you, you should start your own podcast. So, hey, who knows? Maybe, maybe this will be your new foray. So we will see. I think that's probably helpful for people listening to know is tell us a little bit about you know, where you grew up and how you became a teacher, because that's how we know each other. We were both ultimately teachers together. We were at, uh, uh, ended up being teachers together, I guess yeah. we could say at the university, but um, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Oh my goodness. I had no intention of teaching, none, zero. I, I saw the work that teachers did and I thought it was thankless. And yeah. I saw no and it money. Is sometimes. It, it really, and I saw no money in it. So uh, I went to school to be a nurse. Okay. And after two years of being in nursing school, I decided I really didn't want to be a nurse and didn't know what else to do. And so I went career shopping in the catalog and, and found something that I could still graduate on time mm -hmm. and get my degree and have a job. Oh, and then now that's where the science. There you comes go. In. There you go. Okay. Okay. And so I had it because I figured I had the rest of my life to decide what I wanted to do, and teaching fit my my timeline. So I said, okay, I'll teach until I can decide what to do, and that's oh, how I started shoot. teaching. That, that line, huh? <laughs> yes. Until I decide what I want. <laughs> Like Mr. Holland's opus when he that's was just going to go in and do it temporarily. Thank right? you. And that's how I became a teacher. 43 and years later. 43 years later. And so, okay, you taught, you started teaching high school or you started no, teaching middle school? Middle school. I taught okay. middle school science. So mm -hmm. I have taught at sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Okay. Primarily seventh okay. and eighth. And after 22 years, okay. I was invited to go over to the LBJ Science Academy. Okay. So I went over there for two years. It was not me. Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of pressure to be first. You know what yeah. I mean? If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pressure to make the grade. Mm -hmm. And at the time that I was there, because I have not been there in a long time, mm -hmm. uh, it seemed like there was less emphasis on learning and more emphasis on scoring. Well, and it's a lot about prestige there, just yeah. even from the title, the name of the school. Right. Right. It's right. Like, and even being in Austin, we're in a location where you are surrounded by policymakers, you're right. surrounded by um, university faculty, you're surrounded by, um, you know, opportunity and, yeah. and you kind of get put under the magnifying glass of we want to be able to be an example. So what right. can you do to help us be an example? That's it. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I probably went over there under the less favorable circumstances because I was really quite happy where I was. Mm -hmm. I was, <laughs> I had been at this campus where I had been for, I think about almost 20 years. I, and that's where I started teaching. That's where I stayed. I had planned to retire from there. And when I received the invitation to move to a high school, and to a prestigious high school, it sounded like fun. 
Now, okay. see, that's always how I get in trouble. It sounds like fun. <laughs> and then I'll find myself knee deep and I'm not having a lot of fun. And that's what happened to me. I went there <clears throat> and apparently unknown to me, there was political issues okay. underlying a lot of things. And when I got there, I became part of that political volleyball game. Mm. And it was extremely trying. It was very, very difficult. Why so? I mean, if you don't mind sharing. like It was me. I'm coming since it was so centered around prestige. Okay. And being there and teaching there was all very extremely prestigious. Mm -hmm. And here I am coming from a middle school. Okay. And had not taught mm. the subject that I was moving into for a long time. And I don't think they had a lot of faith that I could do it. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you, because I hate to ever say it had anything to do with the fact that I have dark skin. Mm -hmm. And so that's the last thing that I try to think about. However, I think that had a little something to do with it. I The fact is that I literally had people hanging outside of my door listening to see if I was teaching. Mm -hmm. And it was so uncomfortable for me because I had been a really good teacher for a really long time. And to have people doubt, doubt my abilities was really, really difficult. Yeah, and you're coming from, I mean, the context, thank you for sharing that too. Yeah. I, was, I was curious about what you meant by those political, I guess, issues or challenges, right? Yeah. But I think it's a challenge anyway, going from middle school to high school. Yes. Uh, I yes. think everybody that's been a teacher and at the secondary level knows that for some reason they think that as you get into higher grades, you're more, you're smarter, <laughs> you know, more. Yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> which is not the case, no. right? We know no. that. Yeah. Um, I think number one, I think it is relevant to say uh, it's a challenge as a woman or as a minority, yes. right? For any of those, you're going to yeah. run into challenges that, um, that otherwise are kind of gone unnoticed yeah there so. were you know there were some people there who were extremely supportive I want to just say that and but after two years I had to make a decision mm -hmm. because it really was getting ugly um, because the push was to integrate a staff mm -hmm. I, I am accustomed to being uh, the only chocolate chip yeah it, it's, that's that's not new to me um, generally doesn't cause a problem at this particular case, I think the people who were there felt as if I was being shoved down their throat. You know how I'm, you know yes. how that goes? Yes. And I had no idea about this going in. So I was totally unprepared. Did a lot of crying you think that it's year. Because, you think it's because, <laughs> hey, I'm good at my job. Yeah. And I've been invited to be a teacher yeah. at this prestigious school because yeah. I do good work. Yes. And so I'm going to go do good work. And now I'm getting treated like that's yeah. not what I'm doing. There you go. Yes. Yeah. But I, after two years, I decided I made a decision that uh, haunted me for a couple of years. Um, I decided to leave. I, I decided, I said, either I'm going to stay here and allow someone to commit professional murder, <laughs> or I could stay here and commit professional suicide yeah. because I did not feel that if I could fight that system. So I decided to leave. And so I did. And after I left, I was so relieved. Yeah. You know, you think that all of those things are behind you. And then one day I am at my new school. 
it's been a great year and it's at the end of the year and you know how you go in for those last end of the year um, interviews with your administrators yes and they let you see your folder and I saw a fold I saw a note in there from my department head extremely complimentary uh, very nice but just something odd you know it's just like I'm, you know, why is that in there? It's, it's nice. I'm happy. It says good things, but why is it there? Apparently, one of my, um, not my fans from the previous school had literally followed me. Yes, and told my leadership that I was a weak instructor and that they had to keep their eye on me. So they did. Wow. And I had no idea. Wow. Fortunately, they had good things to see. And at the end, it was all old nice. But as soon as I read that note and I recognized what happened because she told me why, uh, my department leader needed to write that letter or felt like she needed to write the letter. I was so angry. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was furious. And I'm ready to do all kinds of, you know, I have to, I have to. And then it dawned on me. I said, you had no idea this was happening. Somebody had your back when you didn't even know you needed it. Yeah. So why are you going to go back into that? It doesn't make any sense. You know, sometimes you can look at the mess that's behind you and just leave it there, mm -hmm. which is what I did. Mm -hmm. There were several times when people tried to call me and get me to share or to get me to complain. But really and truly, it's, that was just not something I needed in my life anymore. Yeah. I, I did it for two you years. You left it already. I left it. I, for I made, a reason. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so there's no sense going back into it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, when I think about pivotal moments in my life, that was one of those. Um, that pivotal moment taught me that when you make a decision that is a something that's beneficial to you, it's not always going to be easy because it. I always, for about two years, like I said, I felt as if I ran. And by running, I felt somehow or another I let the kids down, I let myself down, I didn't st stay and fight. But then I, I, why? What would, I, I, why? It wasn't nurturing you and it wasn't no. allowing you to be the best teacher or person Thank that you, you could be, right? And that's, a, I think that's a big, It it's, recurring and people can kind of make fun of it um in the current like situation that we're yeah. in about when people say self-care when people yeah. say be aware or take care of your needs but that is that if you're not thriving in this situation that you're yeah. in then it's the only person that can make the decision to make it better is you right so right you have to attend to that well right? you know the whole thing is that i learned what i needed to learn when i got there and it was time to go. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know that I needed to learn it, but I'm serious. I I'm I'm very faithful. You know, I, I'm a, I don't like to say that I'm religious because I think religion is probably at the core source of a whole lot of social issues because we get so wrapped up in the rules of religion instead of the spirituality that I mm -hmm. think is really is what nurtures us. So, but anyway, I was at church. And I was miserable. 
And it was a, a woman's conference and I was miserable and I'm praying hard. Will you please let me know what it is I need to know so I can get away from this place <laughs> so I can go, please. I'm serious. I was so distraught. And so I got my answer that day. Well, and how, how did it come to you? I was sitting there in the pews and they were talking and everybody was sharing. And so they had this question answer period of time. So I went up to the front and I said, okay, how do you know when the message that you're receiving is the message that the Lord wants you to have? Oh, good how do question. You, how do you know that's it? And so one of the ladies said, you'll get it verified. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and so I sat down and I said, well, okay, that helped me a lot. And then, uh, but seriously, this soft voice and I don't care what anyone says about this mm -hmm. soft voice says to me, you're not listening. And I said, okay, what am I not hearing? It said, it said, you've heard it several times today. When it's time to go, you'll know. Mm -hmm. And the reason why you can't go is the reason why you had to go in the first place. And so I'm, I'm, I'm serious, having this serious conversation. I'm on the second pew from the back. I have a Bible in front of me. I'm trying to figure out what I'm thinking. And I said, what? He said, you're hard headed and you're, and you're hard headed and you're proud. And I said, what do you mean? I'm proud. I am not proud. I'm not proud. I'm not a prideful person. I don't lord things over people. I, I don't do that. And they said, yes, you do. And I seriously right there sitting in that chair. I saw all those opportunities when I was first at this school where I could have asked for help. Oh. But to ask for help means that you don't know how to do something. Mm -hmm. And in that particular environment, I didn't feel like it was safe mm -hmm. for me to admit that I sure. didn't know how to do something. So I just struggled on my own until I was just so tired and exhausted from it. Mm -hmm. And so once I recognized that, yes, I was a bit prideful because I hate to admit that I don't know something, hate to admit that I can't do something. Oh yeah, it's tough. Oh, and hard headed. Oh my God, I'm so hard headed because I refuse to listen. And once I understood that, accepted that and embraced that. You can make a decision. I could move forward because I had to grow, I, I, I nest well. So for 20 years I had been in my building, people respected me, people liked me, parents knew me, everything was great. I could have easily stayed there. Yeah, it's easy to stay in a place of uh, predictability. Right, right. You know, I know what's going to happen. I know what to anticipate. I know yeah. what that's going to feel like. So yeah. it's safe. It's safe. So I'll just stay here. So I'll just stay here. Mm -hmm. And and I left and it haunted me because even though I knew I needed to leave, I still felt as if I ran and that I didn't confront the problem. And I, it took, it took a lot of soul searching for me to get past it. So when did you, this makes me think of two questions from, okay. from your story here is, when did you find peace after moving after knowing that it's time to move on yeah um and how did you find peace in that process and then I'll, the second question was um i think through all of it is 
when do you know, when did you know it was time to change? Like in multiple places of life. Mm-hmm. So not just after, you know, from you've had multiple changes. When did you know that that was the time? So I'm wondering about those. I think, um, let me answer the first, the second one first. Okay. I knew it was time. I knew it was time because the one incident that stuck with me forever, let me know that I needed to make a major change in my life was something I ran into accidentally. Well, actually two. So the first one is I went to a workshop and I still remember the name of the work. It's y'all onions need love too. So what a great title. I know. And I'm thinking this is about kids who are onions. (laughs) So peeling the layers, peeling the layers. Okay. So I went and it was not about the kids. It was about us. Oh, wow. And and our layers. And it was extremely uncomfortable for me. At one point, um, because it was a lot of introspection, a lot of self-examination. And I'm like, why am I here? I don't want to be here. And they had one last task. And this is where my life changed. This little cheap mirror. It must have been one of those little cheap reflective surfaces. Cheap mirror. They gave it to us. Like plastic. Plastic. (laughs) All I had to do was look in that mirror and say, I love you to myself. And I could not do it. Did they make everybody do it at the same time? Yeah, everybody's supposed to do it the same time. And so I'm sitting over here like a doofus with this mirror in front of me. And I'm looking at myself and I cannot verbalize. How old were you? Oh, shoot. I had to be in my mid-30s. I could not say it. Why? Why do you think you couldn't say it? I have no idea because I did. Well, I do. It's uncomfortable? I, no, I couldn't say it because I didn't. Uh-huh. You know, I. It, it was just one of those moments where I recognized that I really didn't love myself. You were tending to everybody else. You were keeping yourself busy. Is that what it was? I was, you know, keep yourself busy. Tend to everybody else. Make sure you stay out of trouble because I was raised to stay out of trouble Mm -hmm. and behave yourself. I mean, just all of those things, all of those things so that it's, it boxes you in. I was so, I was so tightly boxed in until I was not just keeping pain out, I was keeping pain in. Mm -hmm. And when, for whatever reason, whatever reason, that was the day when my life was changing again. Because when I could not say, I love you, it got to, this is how bad it was. It got to the point where I was the center of attention you know that made it worse oh, yeah. because everybody else was done <laughs> and I'm the only one sitting over there crying Oh shoot! I'm literally crying looking in this darn mirror and I'm like I would rather be anywhere except here <laughs> anywhere just let me give me some colds to walk across I'll do that anywhere except here um I finally was able to choke it out but that was crazy and So I had to think about that a lot. And when I thought about it a lot and recognized how far I was away from appreciating myself as a person, as a human being, not as somebody's daughter, not as somebody's wife, not as somebody's mother, but as a person. And that this person deserved to be respected. 
not just by people saying yes ma'am and no ma'am and doing what I say when I'm in my classroom, but really respected, particularly by myself. That I had to, I started working on that. I'm good at projects. So I started working on that and I read and I studied and I listened to tapes and all kinds of stuff. And what it did for me was help me to grow and made me recognize some of the things that I was doing that was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, things that you just kind of accept in life. Uh, I was teaching once and this teacher down the hallway from me with two teens. Uh, both of them made great teens. I was team lead for one, she was team lead for the other. We were doing great, we were doing well. We had what I call the dream team. The other team didn't have the dream team, mm-hmm. they were struggling. So I allowed someone to shut me up because basically the other team lead told me that I really talked too much in in meetings, that I really needed to be quiet, and that everybody didn't wanna hear what I had to say. So I said, fine. (laughs) So I shut up. And it was the worst thing I could have done. Ah. Leaders do not have the freedom to shut up. Well, if you're going to truly be a leader, you have to be willing to say and have something to say. I literally allowed my team to flounder for an almost an entire semester before I woke up and recognized you 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 don't you're being selfish. You don't have that right to just shut up. And that if you're going to lead, lead. Yeah, and if it was actually an issue with that person, then that could have been resolved in that way, but yeah. you were doing what was best for you and the people that you were in charge of. Yeah. Yeah. So those two things were pivotal. Those were two things that made me really realize I need to move. But the thing that made me get past um, feeling like I need, I ran was another training I went to. (laughs) (laughs) So those trainings do hold (laughs) serious value. This, this is one with called the international facilitation fellows. Oh, I did it. Oh, did you do Ivy? that? Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Oh no, no. Uh, well, this is international facilitate. No, wait, wait, no, no, no. That's the wrong thing. This is international. Oh, come on. Is it mediator? It's about mediators. Oh, okay. Never mind. It's it's something about mediation. Okay. And I went because I was sponsoring students. And the students were going in order to become mediators so that we could have mediation teams. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, okay. yes, yes. And it was a long, it's a long training. Oh my goodness, but this, that's what I expected it to be. It was not that. Oh. No, it was not. I went to this thing and when I went there, I could have told you point blank um, in terms of society, who was on the top of the feeding chain mm. and who was next and who was at the bottom. And that uh, racism and discrimination I had full view of what that meant and what that looked like. And after two meetings, listening to people who do not look like me Mm -hmm. at all uh, and who are male, in other words, white men Mm -hmm. standing in front of the group talking about times when they have been discriminated and it was authentic. Mm. I would have never accepted that except when you hear about that, that's one thing. But when you listen to someone who's experienced it 
and you see that the pain is as real for them mm-hmm. as it is for you when you experience it, you start recognizing that maybe the problem is broader than a small group. Mm-hmm. Maybe the problem is something that I, I still am working on to today mm-hmm. is that it's a human issue. Mm-hmm. And until we start understanding that if we don't start taking care of our humanity, one for the other, it doesn't matter which group it is today that is being discriminated against or, or held down or somehow suppressed. suppressed. Mm-hmm. Somebody will be. Mm-hmm. Because we haven't figured out that it's about us as human beings treating each other as human beings. Mm-hmm. And that if we would do that, if we would do that and honestly own that, that we could actually deal with a whole lot of the issues. So I started recognizing that I may not be able to visualize it. I may not be able to own it, but I have to accept it. Um, All of the work that we've been doing here, going to work in places where I had not been before. I went to work in Washington. And while I was- Washington State. Washington State. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, I spoke to a teacher from a very small community that was experiencing some extremely difficult times, financially, socially, the whole thing. And none of those kids look like me. All of those kids are white. All of those kids are living in poverty. All of those kids are struggling. And that's not who you hear about on the news. Right. So when you feel as if someone's not paying attention to you, then you try to do whatever you can to make people pay attention. Mm -hmm. Or you go with someone who says that they're going to pay attention. And so that's how I think that sometimes we get ourselves wrapped up in situations where we are following people that uh, promise promise things to us mm-hmm. that other people don't even talk to us about because that's not who they see when they see poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, no, no, granted, the majority of the people, you can see it with COVID, the majority of people who are impacted are people who are black and brown because we we are the people who tend to populate mm-hmm. that particular income group in that particular job market. So it makes sense. But when there are not a lot of people who are black or brown around, someone else occupies those spaces and experience those same difficulties. And there are more of them than many of us recognize. So when you hear someone say, I'm in pain, and you're in pain also, and you say so, and they say, yeah, but your pain can't compare mm. compared to my pain, then I don't think that generates a lot of positive feelings. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So why don't we just stop trying to compare pain and instead just recognize the fact that as part of the human condition, there are going to be hard times and there are going to be good times. And let's see if we can't start choosing our hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, it's just like when you start thinking about career choices or going to school or mm-hmm. any of those things, choose your hard because going to school is hard. Dropping out is hard. You know, uh, getting a career that allows you to be off on the weekend is hard, but week working seven days a week is hard. Yeah. Um, choose your hard. 
you know, because it's it's as much physical that and as great, it is mental, you know? That is a great philosophy. Yeah. And even if you think about, it's like when you're trying to teach kids yeah. when they're young, it feels painful now. Yeah. But I promise just it's going to be painful for a little bit <laughs> yeah. and then it's going to be over. And, you know, I think back, I think about this often because I remember when I got this job at the university, I it was to me a dream yeah. because I had worked my ass off for yeah. 20 years to be a really good middle school, high school teacher and leader, right? Yeah. Whatever yeah. capacity that was. And then I had this opportunity where I could impact more kids. Yeah. And what what did it take for me to get there? Well, I think back it took hours and hours on weekends at nighttime. There you go. Going to school and getting my master's degree and doing that on top of those hours and hours yes. and yes. working on papers and, you know, and I did that for however long it took. And now it's not that my job is easy. No. I'm not going to say that. No. But, you know, the the opportunities I have now are a result of the hard that Thank I had you. Earlier. There you go. So I love yeah. that. That is a great thing. Choose your heart. Choose your heart. That's a great one. Um, yeah. Another thing that it made me think about when you were talking earlier was... Um, you know, like any young couple, Matthew and I got married when we were 22 and 23. Mm -hmm. So, so young. You know, yeah. I think if anybody told me now at that age that we're getting married, I would think, <laughs> why? Don't do it. You know, um, now, 18 years later, yeah. I go, okay, that was, yeah. you know, it's my biggest accomplishment that I'm super proud of. But it took me, no kidding, I bet, I bet it took me until I was about 34 years old. Um, to realize that it was my responsibility to take care of me. So when you mm -hmm. were talking about your how you couldn't say I love you in the mirror yeah. and you were thinking about um, is this a good decision to, to move on from yeah. this job? You know, as much as um, I wanted Matthew to take care of me, it wasn't that... It was my responsibility to take care of me. Yes. And then once I took care, once I could take care of me, then I could be a good wife to yeah. be around or a good daughter or whatever yes, the case it. was. So it, um, you know, those things you have to pay attention to. And Absolutely. I think we forget at no matter where we are in life, yeah. no matter what career we have, it's like you ignore those things until they literally become painful, like physical pain. Yes. And it's our responsibility to do that so that you can nurture others or you can be creative. That's it. Right? That's um, you, it. it I, I don't know how much I... I've also been through the phases where Matthew thought he needed to, to experience pain to be a true artist, you know? <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know why I'm being exposed to this pain because of you, but it sure is, you know. And I think you can still be creative as a result of these reflections that you have about how you nurture yourself right. or how you approach a situation. Even when you were talking about how that that other uh, teacher said, could you not talk? Could you not share? We don't yeah. need you to share. Well, that's really your opinion. Yeah. And so, you know, you always think back, if I had the opportunity to go back, I would say this and this and this, right? 
but we do have those opportunities every day and it's just part of reflecting and saying when i move forward and i take 10 more steps in that dire- in the forward direction i'm going to handle it this way well yeah and well every time i think about those kinds of things and you know it's easy to think about it as oh i don't like her very much anymore and yeah. all this kind of stuff but really and truly I have learned that everything that everything that I've gone through, even those things that ex, that cause a great pain, have taught me things that I needed to know, that bring me to where I am now, to the point where, for example, when she said everybody doesn't need to hear what you have to say, what I learned to do was measure what I say because hmm. I, you know, I I forget you, you go from lack of confidence to overconfidence. And then you step another step and you're into arrogance. So I, you go from lack of confident to confident to arrogant. And that step into arrogance is where every thought has to be my thought. Every thought that comes into my head is so important that everybody needs to hear it. And I recognize that I needed to really kind of step back a minute that while no, I did not have the luxury or the right to be silent I had the responsibility to leave space yeah. for other people to have something to say Yeah, because you need to step away from that arrogance so that you're back there's nothing wrong with confidence I, I've been uh, rearranging my jewelry and I have this necklace. I love this. This is Thank you, you can tell tell <laughs> w- that you are in full force retirement. Thank mode. you. I am. I love I was that. organizing my jewelry. <laughs> so I had this necklace that I received. It had to have been thirty years ago. Anyway, it had this little box in it that you open up, and I had slipped this little piece of paper in it, and I pulled it out, and it, it's it's called a prayer box. Mm. And basically, I pulled it open, and it's a really cheap little necklace. Just got this little box on it. And it said, confident, no, what it says, from, from, from envy to admiration. So I had an arrow, it said envy, and then an arrow, admiration. The envy that you feel towards someone else, turn it around so it's not a negative emotion. Instead, if it's something that you admire, then look at it in admiration and no longer is it a negative experience. Mm. And then go from, and then it said arrogance and then it had an arrow and then it said confidence. So let's, let's, that was like a backward step Mm -hmm. because I had felt like I had nothing to say. Then I felt like I had everything to say. (laughs) And now let's step back a minute. Find the balance. Let's find that balance and sit on the confidence so that Right now I'm sitting on my confidence Mm -hmm. that I'm confident in who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm confident in what I've become, but I'm not arrogant enough to Mm -hmm. think that I know what's next. Yeah, I mean, you, you, if you're striving for the balance of that, of all of these things that you've described, you should always have the opportunity with whoever you're collaborating with to pose a question and want to hear the response. That's it. Um, if you don't have, if you don't care to hear anything anybody else has to say, then why are you even talking with anybody? Go that's, talk to yourself that's in it. a room, yes. right? 
if if my only purpose for asking a question is to hear you answer in a way that I want to hear, mm-hmm. then I really don't want to answer. Right. I really don't want to hear what you have to say. Right. <laughs> I'm doing seek and find. I'm going to keep asking until someone gives me the answer that I'm looking for. Right. And when I hear the answer I'm looking for, then I can shut my head and say, oh, life is good. Mm-hmm. But really and truly, if you really want to hear what people say, you have to really be willing to listen, which is hard. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes people will say things that you don't want to hear. Right. And that you definitely don't agree with. And while you're hearing these things, you have to work real hard at listening rather than arguing against. Mm -hmm. Because it's so easy immediately if someone says something, because every now and then the kids would say something in my class that was just so off the wall until it's just like, oh no, he didn't say that. But then they do. And then when they do, when you give people the freedom to speak, you have to be ready to listen yeah, because they will say things and it's not always going to be what you want to hear. Well, and I think that's where a lot of the discomfort comes from. And I'll use teaching as a context because that's what what you and I can talk for hours about, right? But it's any any area that you're exploring, right? Yeah. When you pose a question to a kid, in math class and you ask them how do you solve this problem or what's the answer or whatever it is and they respond with something that you've never heard before the inclination is to say no 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 and move on to something you're familiar with because you're familiar with it right like we go back to that predictability or familiarity you know all of that but if we had made this space intentionally to go what do you mean by that yeah then how much more could arise from the conversation? Right? See, see, that's the that's the danger of opening conversations, is that if you don't already have it scripted, mm-hmm. you have to be ready to hear yeah. what people have to say, and that gets really really hard sometimes, especially when people say things that are really off to you, oh, you know, yeah. really off to you, and. Even kids, I remember once we I would have this thing in my in my when I was doing high school and every six weeks uh, the kids needed to have a reason to learn what they were learning. So at the end of the six weeks, we would take whatever we were learning and we would use that information to answer uh, some type of uh, titillating question. Okay. And one time uh, we had been learning, we had been uh, learning about genetics and, and the way the chromosomes function and what happens when chromosomes divide and why chromosomes deteriorate over time. And so the question was, if we could prevent that, should we? Mm-hmm. So that your chromosomes never degrade, so that every time your cells divide, they are pristine, so that aging is not an issue. And since aging is not an issue, we could live for much longer. And now the students had to talk about this oh, in terms what of carrying capacity and all these other kinds of things. And one student said, if people are sick, you should let them die. And he meant it. Mm-hmm. And I almost fell off of my chair because I'm like, what? <laughs> Could you say more? But but it was not my place. You see, I'm outside of the circle on seminar day. The kids are talking to each other. Oh, yeah. So, of course, but it led to such rich conversation. But the point of the matter was that um, if I was not willing to hear something that I did not agree with, 
then I should not open the floor of conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't want people to share what they think, then don't ask them mm -hmm. to share because it doesn't always follow the script. And that's when you really get sometimes very surprising and very rich conversations from people as that, but it doesn't happen until you prove to them that you're willing to listen. Mm -hmm. uh, have a perfect example. I was in Germany one year when we were doing Dodia. Yeah. And I had one teacher present who was not participating. Mm -hmm. And when I spoke to the people in contact, they told me that she was a problematic and that she was not going to be, she was going to be this, that, she and was the other. Giving you, they were giving you a warning. Giving me uh -huh. warnings. So in our first break, I sat beside her and just said, hi, my name is, what's yours? Mm -hmm. What's going on? How are you here? Why are you here? And then she went on to explain. She was totally out of place. <laughs> she did not need to be there. She was there because she had to be somewhere that right. day. You know how it happens. Yeah. She had to be somewhere. Mm -hmm. It was, it a, was a contract day. day. It was a contract mm -hmm. day. So she was there. And she said, and, and I really just, I, I really just don't feel like I need to be here. And, I, and so we talked and we commiserated and we talked about the, the problems that come when people get shoved anywhere they want. Right. And then I asked her, I said, well, I tell you what. Since you have to be here and I have to be here, anything you have to say to share, I'll appreciate it. And so she said, okay. And for the rest of the day, she was extremely engaged mm -hmm. because somebody listened. To listen. Her. Yeah. You, you know, it's just like she was sitting there upset because she was out of place. She mm -hmm. had, why am I here? What am I going to gain from this? Mm -hmm. All she needed was proof that somebody would listen. Yeah. And after that, even though it was still the same training, she was far more engaged and far more willing to share. Well, now you were a human. I mean, yeah. now she was viewed as a more than just a body. There, there you go. Right? And yeah. And you took the time to sit and talk with her. But so. then you know that already. Yeah. See, that's one of the things, seriously, that I, I notice about you as a person who is leading is that you always get the feeling that you want to hear what I have to say. Right. And if all you're doing is walking through a protocol, you're just eating up the clock. Mm -hmm. That's not going to encourage me to share. And how deeply you share really depends on how well you think I'm going to listen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's it's uh, That has been something that I will say has been the biggest challenge. Oh, okay, I'll tell you the fun. I'll tell you a, a story that is like, a cringe, my cringe, cringe-worthy oh. story that I think about of my very first presentation when I was working at the Dana Center. Right? Okay, so we got sent to um, oh gosh, it's one of our big. I, I can't even tell you what the acronym is. It's not NCSM. It wasn't that. It was UMLN. Okay, okay, and so it's this Urban Math Leadership Network. It's all of the biggest urban school districts in the United States, the top 10 biggest. And they decide to send me, I have no idea why, to go and do a co-presentation on formative assessment or something like that. Okay. Right. I don't really have a background on what the audience is going to be, but come to find it is either 
like a superintendent of one of these urban districts or it might be their math coordinator. So we're talking like, you know, um, Hillsborough County, we're talking yeah. um, uh, uh, Baltimore, you know, yeah. all of these huge places, yeah. right? Boston public yeah. schools. And um, I bombed it. Let's just say that the whole thing bombed. It wasn't, I didn't think about who my audience was. Number one. Yeah. You know, I was thinking I was going to talk with a room full of teachers. Yeah. And that wasn't, that's a totally different conversation and, and tone. Yeah. Um, and then I wasn't really thinking about listening that hard. I really just thought about what, what do I need to cover in this amount of time? And uh, <laughs> our director's wife, Linda was yes. there oh. and she we got stuck on a plane on the way back I got stuck with our director's wife and our managing director oh my okay. yeah so we get stuck <laughs> on emergency landing and we sit down and I and she goes so how was your first you know conference UMLN conference and I thought I said I don't know I don't I don't know about it what did you think and she goes well and I knew she was trying to not, she was trying to really refrain. She was trying to refrain from um, giving me feedback because she doesn't lead the center. Yeah. You know? Right. But I asked her for it. And right. it's just, she is just that way. Yeah. Right. She's always, her Her and Uri both are mentors. Yes. They always want to mentor right. you. And right. here I am like totally green. Yeah. And she, the only word she said to me was, it was a little didactic. <laughs> I had to look up what the word didactic meant after because I thought, I think that's a bad word. And then I read the definition. I tell Matthew I'm crying when I get home. I tell Matthew and he's like, well, let's look up the definition. It says like a teacher. And I was like, I don't think that's meant in a good way the way she told me that. And ever since then, it probably was the best thing that could have happened to me when I started this job was that you have to be a little bit of you. Yeah. Well, you have to be a lot of you. Yeah. But you also have to be a good listener. Yes. Absolutely. You got to know when you do have something to say, but you have to be a good listener. Yeah. In order to fill a room, in order to keep people engaged for yes. six hours, in order to understand why people are angry, to understand yes. why people are so proud you know whatever it is yeah um so that was one of my stories that i think about when i first started this job of oh my <sighs> word oh we have all had one of those <laughs> oh, God. i'm serious <laughs> i i think about the work that we did and you know i'm science yeah and i was math phobic for a long time and then to have to go out and do math training <laughs> the last time i went I bombed. I'm just going to tell you, honestly, I bombed. Um, everybody was kind. You know, because oh, teachers are, uh, can be they kind. They were kind. Too. Yes. They were kind, but I knew that I had not done a good job. But this, that was something else I learned is that sometimes you need to know where your strengths are and where they are not. When I got back that time, I recognized, I say, the travel is wonderful, it's marvelous. Yeah. But this is what I said to my manager. I said, this is very important work. And uh, the center has done a really great job of recruiting people 
from all over this country so that you would have the best of the best of the best. And then you put me in there. <laughs> I said, I did. I said, that's not fair to them. It's not fair to me. I think I'm done. Love that. <laughs> I think I'm done. But I never, the, the, I think the beauty of that was that I was willing to and able to say that and not feel diminished. Yeah. Um, yeah, you let go of your pride. Yeah, mm -hmm. just let it go. Yeah, and, and d deal with honest. Mm -hmm. That that is not my thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I can I can memorize a protocol with the best of them, and as long as everything goes beautifully, everything is great, and no one asks you a question, and they don't ask you a question that's not in the, <laughs> the script. You're great, but as soon as they start asking you questions that demonstrate that they're trying to get some depth of understanding, and I don't have that background in mathematics. Mm -hmm. You ask me that in science, I can take it all the way back down to the atom with you. But you're going to talk to me about why certain things happen and why certain shapes and why certain all of this. And I'm like, I memorize this stuff. I don't know how yeah. to answer that question. <laughs> yeah. You can only ask them why in return there you go. so many times that they're finally looking at you like, well, tell us why. Well, tell us why. That's enough. <laughs> That is funny. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that I am not the only one that Are has had those moments now? where you go, oh my gosh, if I could just erase that from the books, that would be really great. But <laughs> it also is a, I guess, a big factor in why we are the people we are today yeah. because we had those moments oh just so. driven driven to do well probably someone else would not have felt as bad about it as either one of us felt yeah that day but it was not smooth it was not perfect it and was you not. know you can feel it you yes. know especially yes. when you're watching a room and you just see it go from this yes to bad or yes. you know wherever yes. you're at yes it's, it's, yes it's hard to ignore and it that way it's just i think it gets back to the humanness uh, I was in a session once where seriously the campus was in serious turmoil because someone had died Oh, and someone was sick and really bad things were happening and the staff was not in a place to be willing to talk to me that day about what I wanted to talk to them about. So we had to come to a compromise. Mm -hmm. And this is where you talk to people mm -hmm. and say, I recognize what's happening. Right. I understand what's happening. I'm here to do this. Can we do this this way? And allow and and I will work really hard to give you back as much time in the day as possible if you will just stick with me. Mm -hmm. I ended up giving back 45 minutes, mm -hmm. but it was just the fact. You're acknowledging it. Yeah. They were, they were willing to stay with me. Uh, and it was one of those days where you just have to honestly accept what's happening. You, know, you had teachers coming in and out because they were trying to cover for someone whose parent had just died. Oh, you know, what do you do? You allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's, Really and truly, this this business of working with people, mm -hmm. when we land on the fact that we're working with people, not just automotions, mm -hmm. that's when you start getting to a, a better place with the online learning that we're needing to do now and all of the things that are virtual, getting that human element back in as much as possible is what's going to make this either work or not. Yeah. Um, people 
who feel anonymous tend to fade into the background. They don't get as much. But or they um, decide to make bold shoot they take bold actions yeah. to not be anonymous anymore there you go yeah and those bold actions could be yes. positive or not so or not yeah yeah so. well um i think we're at a good place where we could do top three okay so i wrote down many things on my scratch pad here but i took away at least three things from what you said so i'm gonna share the things that I heard that really stuck with me. And then maybe if you want to elaborate, if that spurs any okay. any response from you, I would love for you to jump in there. Okay. So um, one of the first things that you said was, sometimes you just have to let it be. So when I think about, I'm, I'm going to connect it back to the point of the whole purpose of the podcast for us is about nurturing creativity mm-hmm. and also how creative moonlighters can still continue to refine their craft and find ways to get better and make it a full-time living, right? Yeah. And so I think in in art, you could say, sometimes you just got to let it be. Like you can't do 10 more coats of paint and make that pretty. <laughs> like it is just what it is. Or if we think about just the way that we engage with people, sometimes you just have to let it be. And that's not the place where you put your energy. It, Yes. I, you know, there's really not a lot to add to that because it's using a lot of energy to try to change a situation that is not going to change for you. Um, I know that there are some people who will go to the wall. They will, they will run into that wall repeatedly until either the wall gives up or they do. And you have to decide whether or not it's, that's important to you. Mm-hmm. Because if it's something where I keep running into a wall, then it could be that I need to change my direction. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you keep running into the same barriers, you have to ask the question, is it you and your navigation? Are you a little off? Do you need to change some things around? Uh, or is it just beyond you? Is it something that sucks so much of your creative energy until you're just left lacking? You don't not only do you not enjoy, you can barely exist. So yeah, sometimes just let it be. Just let it be. Just follow the Beatles, yeah. right? Let it be. Yeah, let it be. Um, the second thing that you said that just struck me was uh, finding a place or a time where you can ask for help. Yeah. Um, and that that isn't a sign of weakness or um, lack of knowledge. Right. Sometimes you, it, it, it just gives you the boost that you need. I, I'm, and when you are driven to be the best, I'm just going to say it like that. When mistakes become, it's almost as if you're, you're trying to avoid making a mistake rather than trying to get something marvelous, right. you know? And it's just so draining if you focus on the negative rather than the positive and it just it's it's just yeah I don't know what else to say except yeah you're right (laughs) well I think the other part on when I think about even when I really need help I find the couple people that I feel because you said the one of the reasons why you didn't ask for help was because you didn't feel like you were in a safe place to ask for help right so I think when I turn to 
colleagues or family members or whoever to ask for help. I've already established a relationship with them that I feel comfortable enough to ask for help or feedback or, you know, whatever the case is. So I think that might be just a little tack on to when you ask for help, it's not like you're just asking, asking random or you think about like you wouldn't go to your boss and ask for help out of the blue for nothing. Right. Right. So it's just kind of being intentional about the way or whom you're asking to help you. What you said then just reminded me of something because sometimes you have to keep your eyes open because you don't know where your help is coming from until it arrives. I, uh, I recall going to a training uh, <laughs> and, and this training was actually about the genome project when it was just being oh, finished. Wow. And so we were getting research data about it. And while I was there, I met a teacher who taught the same thing that I was struggling with, but she taught it at another district and she was so friendly and she was kind and she invited me to her room Oh, cool! to see her class, to see her curriculum, to see her materials. And I didn't know this woman. I did not know her, but I went back to my campus. I got permission and I spent a day with her. And it was the, it was a pivot point. Mm -hmm. It made me feel like I could do this. Whereas before I was wondering if I would ever make it. Well, you know, that's it. Gosh, this is, wasn't my third one, but it just made me think of this. You know, the power of observing somebody Mm -hmm. is so huge. Whether you're a, a creative like whether you're trying to make art yeah I'm sure just watching so one example is our our next door neighbor Ashton just graduated from high school Mm -hmm. but about gosh maybe I don't even know I'll ask him later three years ago four years ago you know Matthew plays guitar yeah and so he would come around and other people around Ashton play guitar but he would spend a lot of time with Matthew and so Matthew would show him little things. Here's how you played this chord. Here's yeah. how you played this chord. Well, now forget it. He's so good at it because he practiced, because he watched YouTube videos, you mm-hmm. know, all of that stuff. But just the power of observing um, is is huge. It's, to, it's big. Yeah. It's big. But, but yeah. you have to feel safe in either asking for help and then having the opportunity to observe. I think that's the part that's difficult, just trying to build that safe place. Yeah. Uh, how do you build a safe space when you have 30 people who are anonymous to you? Mm-hmm. You don't really know them. You don't know them at all. But you still are trying to work to build a safe space for people to feel as if they can share. And I think the reality of it is the fact that um, the power of your personality, how open you are from the onset how you present yourself as a partner or as a somebody who's above it all makes the difference in how people are even willing to hear you, mm-hmm. let alone talk to you. So, yeah. Yeah, huge. It's, it's huge. And what you observe of people, you need to understand that people are observing you. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every action, every everything. everything you do. I mean, that is the thing about whenever I'm working with groups of teachers, my most favorite work has been in Louisiana. But they will notice, um, I used to always carry a mason jar with a lid, like as my mug. Mm-hmm. That would be my coffee mug because I could put, you know, my creamer and shake it yeah. up or do whatever and this one time I returned, we had been meeting over the course of nine times, yeah. right, in person. And 
one of the teachers said, where's your, where's your Mason jar? <laughs> you know, the things that people notice yeah. about you, which is yes. so funny. Yeah. But, um, well, Barbara, this was so fun. This thank you been, so much for you. spending, um, I guess, a, probably a couple hours with me by now when all is said and done. Has it but really? Maybe an hour and a half, well, right? Wow. Yeah. So You're, much fun. It's and fun. I really appreciate you taking the time out of retirement, organizing your jewelry <laughs> and your garage uh, to sit and chat. I just, I knew the moment that you said, you were going to have some free time on your hands. I thought, well, I'm going to snag some of that right away. So. I appreciate that. It is, it's a nice exclamation point to the retirement business. It sure is. And uh, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll have you on again. And uh, we know that you'll have more to more to say about what your new chapter has and what that's taught you too. So. I will be glad to share it because it is coming. I had, this is the message for me. You get your messages the way you want, but this is the message for me. And it was uh, when I was worried about retirement and I was concerned about retirement. And of course you worry about finances and retirement. Mm -hmm. And the answer was, you will be financially okay, but you're not going to be able to do anything new until you let go. Yeah. So if your hands are full and you're holding on so tightly to what you're doing right now, you'll never have room to do something new. And I have to let some things go because I become really serious about what I'm doing. And if I hold on, I've been holding on to this for a long, 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 mm -hmm. long time. Mm -hmm. I tried to retire 14 years ago, didn't work. <laughs> so, uh, and so, but since then I've learned a lot and it wasn't, it wasn't time for me to retire. But now I have gotten to the point where I know what I need to know. I'm able to do what I need to do for whatever it is <laughs> that That's I will be, to be doing determined. Next. That is right? to be determined. Yeah, it might look different. And you know, that is a great way to end the episode because uh, it it actually teaches people that are creative moonlighters that are um, hesitating to take the plunge. Yeah. That it just might look a little different, yeah. but you're going to be okay. You'll be okay. Yeah. Let it go. All Have right. Something new. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. That is a wrap, episode 20, and hasta la pasta. Thank you. <laughs> so fun. That was fun, Denise.